disciples, there's one on the table in front of you. And this is a very famous chapter, uh, the chapter where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Two themes run throughout the Gospel of John. There are many themes, but two of the main themes are light and life. Light and life. And we're going to see these themes reintroduced in chapter 11 of the Gospel of John. So if you have that text, let's look at the circumstances that Jesus finds himself in in John 11 and verse 1. Now there was a certain man sick, Lazarus of Bethany, which is just outside of the city of Jerusalem. It would be like a suburb of Dallas, uh, just a couple miles outside the city limits. It was the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Now Mary is mentioned first here. Now there are many Marys in the Bible, in the New Testament. So what John the writer does is he describes this particular Mary so you won't get her mixed up with the others. Look at verse 2. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Uh, so now we're introduced to three people. We're introduced to Lazarus, who is a friend of Jesus. Uh, we are introduced to uh, Mary and her sister Martha, two sisters. Uh, it's interesting to me in verse 2 that the Gospel writer John says that this Mary is the one who anointed him with oil. And uh, as if his readers should know that already. And he's not going to talk about that event until the next chapter, which is sort of interesting. So evidently the stories of Jesus, verbal stories of Jesus have been floating around. And this must be a popular story about the woman who anointed Jesus' feet and the people, his readers, probably know something about this particular woman. And therefore, verse 3 says, the sisters sent to him, sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, Jesus is 25 miles away from Bethany. We know from last chapter, he's on the other side of the Jordan. And uh, 25 miles would take you about a day walk to get from the other side of Jordan to near Jerusalem. And uh, you know, if you, even if you were going, uh, you know, four miles an hour walking, and you don't usually walk that fast in sandals on dusty roads, so it may have taken uh, Jesus, you know, twelve hours to get there. Uh, this twenty-five miles, if he walked. So they, when they say to Jesus in verse three, it says the sisters, the sisters sent to him, saying they sent a courier to him with a message saying. Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. The implication is you need to get here quick. You need to make a hurry and you need to get back to our place where Lazarus is. Now the key word in these three verses is the word sick. You see that in verse 1? Certain man was sick. You see the last word in verse 2? Sick. And then you see again the word sick. So, if What's the verse? What's the real message in verses one through three? Is what Lazarus is sick and you need to get here. Okay, so let's look at Jesus' reaction to this news when he receives this news in verse four. When Jesus heard that, he said, "This sickness, there's the word again, is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it." Now. 
when Jesus heard this, this is what he said. Who did he say this to? This sickness is not unto death. Well, my theory is, I mean, of course, the apostles were there, and they probably heard it. But he's saying it to the courier. See, the courier is saying, hey, you need to get back here. And what does Jesus say? Well, the sickness is not what? It's not, under, it's not fatal. It's not unto death. But the reason for this sickness is that God will be glorified and the Son of God will be glorified through the sickness. So this is the message that the, that the courier is going to uh, take back to the sisters. Now, we come to what I'm going to call um, weird factoid number one. Okay, This is a weird thing that happens. Uh, and it's very strange to me when I read it. So see if it's strange to you. Verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days. Now wait a second. He stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now if you love somebody, you get a message that they're sick, and you love them, what are you going to do? going to immediately go and try to help them out. It says he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and what does he do? Stays two more days. Now that's weird, isn't it? Weird factoid number one, okay? <laughs> that's not the kind of person you want loving you, <laughs> the response that you want when you think of somebody loving you. So uh, if my wife calls up and says, my car's broken down, what does that mean? And I love her. That means I'm going to get in, go take care of her. I'm not going to ignore her for two days. And so, but that's what Jesus does. So that's what I'm going to call weird factoid number one, okay? So, it seems like his motivation for staying is love. You would think that's what you would do to somebody you hate. You know? Now, I want to place this on the calendar. Okay, uh, Lazarus is sick. The courier goes 25 miles to tell Jesus. That takes one day. And Jesus now stays two more days in Bethany. That's three days. Okay? So that's... That's what we have on the calendar. Now look at verse 7. <coughs> then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. He says, now it's time to go. After three days, he said, let's go. Immediately, uh, they protest. They raise objections. Look at verse 8. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, what are you talking about Let's going back into that area? Lately, the Jews sought to stone you. And you're going there again? You go there. This is a suicide mission. You know, we're not going to go there. So, uh, you know, do you think that's wise? So here's how he answers. Verses 9 and 10. Jesus answered, There are there not twelve hours in the day. If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light in the world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So here's the light portion of John chapter 11. This is the light portion. And um, this goes along with something that Jesus had previously said. Remember Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day because the night is coming when I will no longer be able to work. This is the same thing Jesus is saying. This is sort of an axiom. You know, you need to work when you can. Because at nighttime, you can't do too much. And so what he's saying is, 
I have, I'm on a, I'm on God's schedule. This is time for me to go right now. And uh, I know I'll be safe because my hour has not yet come, so we need to leave right now. Okay? So now is the time to go. Now look at verse 11. Verse 11. These things he said, and after that he said to them, he said that, we need to go now, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Now, when he says that, that really raises their antennas, and it's a misunderstanding, a miscommunication here, because in verse 12, his disciples said to him, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll what? He'll get well and he's done. What do we have to go there for? <laughs> we have to wake up. If he's asleep, he's going to wake up on his own. We don't want to go there. If we go there, we're going to go into enemy territory, and we're going to, you're going to end up getting stoned. So... Now, what happens is in verse 13, we have the Gospel writer John uh, interjecting a comment. So this is what we'll call the narrator, narrator's uh, interjection or his comment. And here's what he said. However, see this is sort of an aside. However, Jesus spoke of his death, of Lazarus' death. But they thought he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. When Jesus was using the word sleep in verse 11, Lazarus sleeps on us waking him up, he was talking about death. He was using a metaphor. He was saying that death is like sleep. Uh, they were not getting that. They're taking the word sleep literally. That he's asleep, well, he'll wake up, we don't have to go there. And so now Jesus clarifies it so there, there's no misunderstanding in verse 14. He said to them plainly, look at this, Lazarus is dead. <clears throat> now, no one's told Jesus that Lazarus is dead. Have they? All the courier told him three days before was what? Lazarus is sick. So somehow Jesus supernaturally knows that Lazarus is dead. Okay? That's going to lead us to weird factoid number two. Okay, you ready for that? Weird factoid number two. Lazarus is dead. Now watch verse 15. And he says, and I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. I'm glad I wasn't there when Lazarus was sick. That's crazy. In other words, if, if he were there, what would have happened? He would have gotten better real quick. Jesus would have healed. And he says, you know something? I'm glad I wasn't there when Lazarus was sick. And I'm glad he died. You know what? I'm glad for your sakes, he says to his disciples. <laughs> now, is this a weird factoid? I think it is. Look at that. I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, verse 15, that you may what? Believe. So he's, uh, he's concerned about uh, them believing. So uh, there is a two-point two uh, purpose uh, for this sickness Number one, and this death. Number one, verse 4, that the glory of God will be seen. See, verse 4, that the glory of God would be seen. And then second of all, verse 15, that you may believe. So these are the two purposes for the sickness that the, the, the apostles' faith will be strengthened by this event and that God's glory will shine forth. So then look at the end of verse 15. Nevertheless, nevertheless, even though he's dead, let's go to him. 
Okay, so Jesus is concerned about God's glory being shown forth, that the apostles' faith will be strengthened, and you know what they're concerned about? We go there, we're going to be in dangerous territory. They're going to stone us. So, Thomas pipes up. Now, Thomas isn't the brightest bulb in the package. You have to realize that. Uh, he's very courageous, but he's not the smartest thing. So look what he says in verse 16. Then Thomas, who's called the twin, can you imagine there were two of them? You know, uh, said to his disciples, let us go for what purpose? That we may what? Now, Jesus said, Let, let's go that we may see God's glory and that your faith will be strengthened. Thomas says, let's go that we may what? Die with him. He misses the point entirely. Uh, Jesus is talking about raising Lazarus from the dead. He's talking about life. Thomas is talking about death. Jesus is talking about faith. I'm going to strengthen your faith. Thomas is talking about doubt. That's why he's a doubting Thomas. He's very courageous. He's brave, but he's the most negative of all the apostles. You know, he's the most negative. Uh, he's sort of a realist. He just looks at things and says, we go there, we're going to die. And you know what? Hey, come on, guys. Rally's the truth. Let's go with him. We'll die with him. You know, we'll go down swinging. So now what we have between 16 and 17, we have them arriving. We don't hear about the trip for the day. We just suddenly discover that they arrived. Look at verse 17. Now when Jesus came, finally he arrives, he found that he, that is Lazarus, had already been in the tomb. How long? Okay, now let's do our calendar. The courier goes from Jerusalem to the other side of the Jordan and tells Jesus about Lazarus being sick. One day. Jesus delays for two more days. And then he takes the trip to Jerusalem. That takes another day. How many days have passed? Four days. Now look what it says in verse 17. When Jesus came, he found out that Lazarus had been in the tomb how many days? As soon as that courier left to tell Jesus that Lazarus was sick, Lazarus just died. He died on that first day. Now that's very interesting, isn't it? Now, I want to say a word here about uh, Lazarus' death. Look over at verse 18. Now look what it says. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem. It was about two miles away. So Jesus doesn't actually go into Jerusalem. They're living in the suburbs. They're on the outskirts of the city, about two miles away. He doesn't even go into Bethany, Jesus doesn't. He doesn't get that far. In fact, look what it says in verse 19. It's very interesting. It says, And many of the Jews had joined the women around Mary and Martha, to comfort them concerning their brothers. Now you see that phrase, the Jews? These are not Jesus' friends, are they? These are non-Messianic Jews. And these are people who, who have been Jesus' enemies. And it says in verse 19 that many of them joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. These are mourners who have come to the home of Lazarus. Okay, now I want to say a word about uh, burial uh, practices and mourning, the way Jews did it. And this should be, open your eyes a little bit to how things were in Jesus' day. When a person died within 24 hours, Jews buried them. They still do that today. They try to get them in the grave as soon as they can. That's day number one 
the burial. From day one to day number three, there's a period of private mourning and weeping. That's where the family just gets together and they weep and they mourn. That's day one through three. Day four through seven after the death is a time of what's known as lamentation. And that's where uh, the Jews would bring in professional mourners. They had professional mourners who wailed with you. It was lamentation. Now, in verse 19, it says, how many were there in verse 19? Many. Tells us that this family was a very wealthy family, that they could hire many mourners. Poor Jews would only have two mourners that they could afford to hire. They'd hire two flute players who could play that flute with those terrible sounds that made it look like people were crying, you know? And so for two flute players, they could do the work of about 20 different real professional mourners. So this is a rich family, and they have a lot of mourners, and that's days four through seven, where the professional mourners come and just wail with you. Okay? Then days 10 through 30, days 10 through 30, the mourners could wear no adornments. It means you couldn't put on jewelry for that first month. You couldn't get your a hair, hair permanent, you know, if we're talking about the days. No makeup, you know, all those kinds of things. Wear black, you know. That's up through 30, day 30. Then day 31 through 360, the mourners could not be involved in any common pleasures. So in today's situation, if, uh, let's say, it's your brother died and it's day 256 of the mourning period, and somebody says, hey, let's go to the movies. Guess what? You can't do that because you have to be sad. <laughs> You're mourning. So that's that period. So that goes up through day 360. And then at the end of one year, and this is where it gets sort of interesting, the body is totally decomposed, all the skin's off, and all you have is the bones left. At the end of the year, they would open the tomb up, and they would collect the bones, and they put them in a bone box. And that was called an ossuary. <laughs> and uh, that's, that was the whole morning. And then at that point, the morning was over. So when Jesus says to a decided young guy, come and follow me, and he says, I must bury my father, probably not talking about going to the funeral service. What kind of person would say you can't go to a funeral service when your father just died, you know? Uh, probably talking about this period when it was time to, to collect the bones, put them in a box, and then bury them in the ground. <clears throat> so this is the mourning process, and this is what's going on here. So you have to understand there's a lot of professional mourners in this family's home. So now look at verse 20. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, watch this, she went out and she met him. He doesn't reach Bethany. She runs, she runs out and says, somehow a rumor is Jesus is coming. She runs out and she met Jesus in verse 20. See? But Mary was sitting in the house. And now we see that contrast between Martha and Mary. Martha is a woman of action every time we see her in the Bible. Mary is a woman who sits. Every time you see her in the Bible, which is sort of very interesting. Now look at verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, now she's going out, out of the house, wherever he, down the lane, wherever it is. She said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Now this reveals Mary's faith. She's not saying if you would have come when the courier told you to come, 
he wouldn't have died because guess what? As soon as the courier left, Lazarus was died. She was just said, if you'd happened to be here when he got sick, you know, he, he probably wouldn't have died. So notice that's a statement of faith. It's a statement of faith in Jesus. And I'm going to call it past faith. If you'd have been here back then, he wouldn't have died. Now we see future faith. Martha's future faith. Look at verse 22. But even now, she says, I know that whatever you ask of God, now watch this, He will give you. See, that's in the future. He will give you. So she hasn't lost her faith. In fact, I would say she has unlimited faith in Jesus because in verse 22 it says, Whatever you ask of God, He will give you. Now, she's not expecting Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead. She thinks that's over. Four days have passed. His body's been is decomposing at this point. And you'll see that very clearly as we go through this text. She's not expecting him to raise Lazarus from the dead. Now, look at verse 23. Watch what you, how Jesus responds. Your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection when? At the last day. See, she's not expecting a resurrection right now, but she knows, like every good Jew, except for the Sadducees, that when God's kingdom comes on earth, that the dead will rise and will inherit the kingdom of God. Every Jew believed that. Job believed that. David believed that. Abraham believed that. Daniel talks about a resurrection. So she believes in a future resurrection. Okay? Now look at verse 25. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live again. Now here is the life portion of John 11. We have the light portion. Now we have the light portion. Notice it's connected to Jesus. Whoever believes in me, verse 25, though he be dead, he shall live, meaning in the future. And whosoever lives, he added, and believes in me shall what? Never die. Now, what in the world do you think uh, how Martha interpreted this? Whoever believes in me will never die. Well, it couldn't mean never die, because guess what? Lazarus believed in him, and he, he died. Martha's going to die. Jesus is going to die himself. So maybe he means something like, whoever believes in me uh, won't, won't die in sin, you know, won't die and be judged. Or maybe he's referring to that time when God sets up his kingdom. You're familiar with that. The dead in Christ will what? Rise first. And those who are alive will be what? Transformed. They won't die. So he's still talking about that future resurrection. I'm pretty sure of that. I can't prove it, but I think that's what he's talking about. You still with me on that? So now look at verse 27. She said, Lord, yes, Lord. Look, yes, yes, I got it. See? Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah. Uh, you are the Son of God. You have this special relationship with God who has come into the world. I believe you're the one who's going to usher in the kingdom of God and uh, you know, is going to set up God's kingdom on the earth and everything is going to be transformed. I think that she believes it's right around the corner. 
In fact, when he says, you know, he who is alive and believes in me won't die, she probably thinks he's going to set up the kingdom in the next <coughs> month or two. And it could happen then soon. The Jews were expecting when Messiah comes that Rome would be defeated. God would set up his kingdom. They were expecting it any time. So I think that's how she's sort of thinking. Now we come to Mary. Okay? So this is a good one. So look at verse 28. Now when she had said these things, that's Martha, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and he's calling you. She does that secretly. She doesn't make the announcement in the house so everyone hears it. Uh, today we would say, uh, Martha text Mary. <laughs> hey, Master, you need to come on. Don't tell anybody. You know, one of those guys emailed him, you know, your phone will buzz, you know, something like that. So she tells her secretly. Now watch this. As soon as she heard it, verse 29, she arose and quickly came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town. He's still on the outskirts of, of uh, Bethany. He's still out there in the, you know, down the lane somewhere. But was in the place where Martha had met him. Then the Jews who were with her, now this is the Jews who were with Mary in the house, and comforting her, this would be the professional mourners, when they saw Mary rose up, saw that Mary rose up and quickly went out, followed her, saying, she's going to the tomb to weep there. So these professional mourners who are paid to weep and wail are saying, hey, she's going to go to the tomb and weep, and guess what we're going to do? We're going to go there and go, oh, oh. So she can't even get out of the house secretly. You know, she's, she's, they, they start following her. So look at verse 32. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. It says the exact same thing that Martha says. Okay? She, in other words, I wish you could have been here. Maybe he wouldn't have died. Now what, notice where she falls. She falls at his feet. Every time we see Mary in the Gospels, she's at the feet of Jesus. She falls at his feet right here. In the other house scene, Martha's in the kitchen. Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And we saw that she's the one who anoints Jesus' feet. She's always connected with the feet of Jesus, which is a, a, a something that's unique to Mary. And I think John wants us, his audience, to realize this. So now what happens, she's weeping, and she falls at Jesus, and says, oh, I wish you could have been here. Then in verse 33, we have this encounter. It's, it's a response, actually, I think, to the professional mourners. Look at verse 33. Therefore, Jesus, when he saw her weeping, and watch this, and the Jews, the professional mourners, okay, who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. So the word means he got agitated. He got ticked off when he saw these professional mourners weeping. And the reason he got mad is because they're not sincere. <laughs> They're getting paid for this. <laughs> That's why they're weeping. It, it really gets Jesus angry because he sees the hypocrisy. These are the people who were not his friends. And guess what? They're acting like they're, you know, they're coming and they're weeping. And he's, he gets angry at that. And he says in verse 34 to, uh, to the girls, he says, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And they moved toward the tomb. 
And now we have the shortest verse in the Bible, verse 35. Jesus wept. He was broken over the death of his friends and that his marriage with the sisters were hurt. So Jesus wept. Again, we see the professional mourners. Then the Jews, the professional mourners, said, See how he loved him? Now, we have to ask the question. Uh, were they just saying that because they were getting paid? Were they sincere? Were they insincere? We just don't know. But Jesus gets mad. Okay? We're going to see that. Uh, some of them said, oh, see how he loves him? Verse, verse is 20, 36. And some of them said, watch this. Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Now, they may have said that secretly amongst themselves. Publicly, they may have said, oh, look how he loves the others. Ah, he could have healed this guy. He could have done it from distance. We heard that he could heal him. Well, why did he do that? So, uh, Jesus really gets mad at that. And uh, we see this. Look what it says in verse 38. Jesus, again, groaning in himself. See, he's mad now. That's that, that concept of this groaning is this inward uh, turmoil that's going on. Uh, the sarcastic remark that they make in verse 37 causes Jesus to, to just get angry again. Uh, so Jesus, again, groaning in himself, verse 38, came to the tomb. It was a cave. And a stone lay against it, uh, showing that this was the tomb of a wealthy person. Wealthy people, uh, tombs were hewn out of stone. And they were formed into a cave and they had eight shelves for bodies that would lay there until the bodies would decompose. And then they would put a great big millstone or a cartwheel, weighed about 2,000 pounds, and they would dig a, a trench right in front of that cave entrance. The cave entrance was about four foot high. So if you wanted to get in, you had to go in like this. But once you got in, you could stand up and there were eight shelves in rich people's tombs. And then they had a ditch and they put that millstone or that cartwheel, about 2,000 pounds, into that ditch. And that sealed the tomb so vandals couldn't get in there, or grave robbers, or wild animals, and destroy the body, which the Jews considered sacred. So that's what we have here. They showed him this tomb, and this is the kind of tomb it was. It was a cave. It was a rich person's tomb. That was verse 38. Now we have Jesus' first commandment. Look at verse 39. He said, take away the stone. Now that's easier said than done. <laughs> uh, I imagine he told the professional mourners to take away the stone. Look, it's not too hard to get a 2,000 pound wheel into a ditch, but it's not real easy getting it out. It's like, you know, you can get your car into a ditch. That doesn't take any brains to do that. But to get your car out of a ditch, you may have to use a tow truck. Right? So he gives them the command. He says, get that thing out of here. So uh, that's command number one. Look at Mark verse 39. Now this is how we know that the sisters are not expecting a resurrection of their brother at this point. Verse 39. Martha, the sister of him who died, said to him, to Jesus, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he's been dead for four days. Uh, she said, you know, he's decomposing. You know, why you want to, don't even go in there and look at him. This is not the time to look at my brother's dead body. And you take that thing away, there's going to be a smell. It's just going to be a horrible situation. 
That's just logical. See, so that's how she's thinking. Jesus said to her in verse 40, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see what? The glory of God. Now, when did Jesus say that to that sister? When he said it was back in verse 4, and guess who he said it to? The courier. The courier comes back and tells the sister and brings Jesus' message. See, that's how it makes sense. So, wouldn't you see the glory of God? And, of course, that's what he did say in verse 41. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. So while they were lifting up the stones, Jesus was lifting up his eyes. And he said, Father, thank you for hearing me. In verse 42, he said, I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, meaning I said this out loud, that they may believe that you sent me. In other words, that they'll have to get faith. That's the second thing. Jesus is going to say glory and faith. And now what we come to is the second command in verse 43. Now, when he had said, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I call them by name. Will Lazarus hear his voice? Does he call him by name? Look at verse 44. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. There's the miracle right there. Less than one half of a verse. Everything was working up to this one point. They don't give you some big glorious Benny Hinn type of a miracle and explain it and we don't know how the people reacted, you know. They didn't jump and shout and scream and holler and all that kind of stuff. See? The miracle is less than one verse. Now, I don't know how this man, who was bound hand and foot with grave clothes and had his face wrapped, got out of that tomb. But I know if I woke up and found myself in the grave, I'd get out of there as fast as I could. This is how it gets out. Now we have the command number three. Here it is. Lucy. And letting go. And so, hey, we don't know the story, but we assume that they loosed him and let him go. We don't know how the family reacted, but we can use our imagination. How excited they must have been. This is something that they would have never expected. And the only way you can figure out is how they would feel is by how would you feel if that happened to you? You've been to, everybody here has been to a funeral. What would have happened if Jesus walked in? raise the person from the dead, you know. But we don't, it doesn't tell us how they react. But it does tell us how the Jews react. <laughs> so look at that. Look at reaction number one, verse 45. Then many of the Jews, that's the professional mourners, who had come with, to Mary and had seen these things, Jesus did. Look at this. Believe me. Reaction number one, some believed him. Reaction number two, verse 46. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. They had, they didn't believe him. They went and snitched. 
you know, he ran it back to the Pharisees, which is going to lead to another attempt on Jesus' life. Now, this account is more than a miracle. In my opinion, this is what we call an enacted parable. No words, instead of telling a parable about a man who's raised from the dead, Jesus actually acted it out. So, here is a man who's dead, and Jesus literally raises Lazarus from the dead. But it points to something greater than the resurrection of Lazarus. It points to the resurrection that is to come when all hear his voice and will be raised on the last day. That's what Jesus says. In the last days, every person who hears my voice will be raised. The dead in Christ will be raised, and those of us who are alive when he comes will be changed, will be transformed. This is the seventh miracle in John's Gospel. The seventh sign that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus said there was a twofold purpose for this. Number one, that the glory of God would be manifest, was it? I guess so. The second was that people, that the apostles' faith would have been strengthened. You think it was? I think it was too. We'll pick up there at verse 47 next week. We covered 45 verses this morning. Can you believe that? 35 minutes. Okay. I was actually going to ask for an extra five minutes. But our president and vice president kept going on and on. So I had to get through this in 35 minutes in order to keep us within the timeline. Lord, thank you for our, our passage and the faith that it builds in us. That this is just a glimpse of things to come. And that even though we die, those who die in faith will one day be resurrected will inherit the kingdom of God. And uh, this is the great hope. This is the blessed hope. The glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.